Hello friends, this is Pastor Bill Clark. Welcome to the podcast. Hello friends are the first two words I begin each message that I get the privilege to share each Sunday. I get to tell my friends about the greatest friend, Jesus Christ. I also consider friends to be one of the greatest gifts a person can have in this earthly life. Most of the episodes will be messages I share each Sunday, but from time to time, I'll invite a friend to share some of their life with us over a beverage. I pray these episodes bless you and help you on this journey of life. God's blessings to you, friend. This is a message I shared at Timothy Lutheran Church on Sunday, August 27th, covering just the very end of Romans chapter 11 and the beginning of Romans chapter 12. Hello, friends. Well, today, as I said in our introduction, we're, as you know, we're continuing. We started back on June 4th, started with Romans chapter 4, and today we're looking at the very end of Romans chapter 11 and just the beginning of Romans chapter 12. I put a, a copy of the Bible study that we've been doing in your, in your bulletin, so you can take notes if you want to, pull it out this week. Um, in Paul's fashion, there is, there's a lot for us to learn here today. Now, there's a lot for us to digest in these first 11 chapters we've gone through in Romans. In fact, this week I went through all the sermons that I've preached on Romans so far, and I wanted to pull out, what's my main point, or what's the main points and the main verses? And I filled up four pages <laughs> already which is Romans 4 through 10. See, in his, in his letter to the Romans, Paul, he hits on so many things. His defense of the faith, his proclamation of the gospel, his appealing to the Jews, his appealing to the Gentiles. I can tell you that I've spent many hours trying to figure out what exactly Paul is saying in Romans and what does it mean for us. And then once I figure it out in my mind, how do I communicate that to you? Well, today Paul steps back and takes a breath. And he gives praise to God whose thoughts, plans, and accomplishments are so much deeper and greater than anything we could have imagined. But Paul still continues to connect with the Jews. And he draws together a montage of passages in Romans eleven thirty-three through 36 from the Hebrew Bible in praise to God. Now in these verses, Paul teaches the readers of Romans, and he teaches us today. He reminds the church in Rome and us today about the God to whom praise is due, but also remembers how Israel herself praised God through the ages. Now many times in the New Testament, we hear Jesus and Peter and the apostles and Paul quote from the Old Testament directly. Now remember at this time, the New Testament is being lived out in the words and the lives of Jesus and the apostles and of Paul. We refer to the New Testament today as ancient texts. 
But the book of Romans was written about 20 years after Jesus' ascension. For reference for us, Romans was written just about the same time as the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Right around 50, 55 A.D. Romans 11, 33-35. They're just not wise words from Paul. He's quoting Isaiah and Job. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of our Lord? Who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? Verse 33 is from Isaiah 59. Verse 34 is from Isaiah 34. And verse 35 is from Job chapter 41. These are not just Paul's words. These are words from the prophets of the Old Testament. Words that the Jews know. And I'm sure, quite sure also the Gentiles have heard at some point in their lives. So why does Paul pull these three verses in his writings? Paul says this, God has always been in control, moving through the events in the history of the world, up to and including the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. Paul, through these well-known passages, depicts a, so- a Lord sovereign in all of His dealings. The Lord God acts by grace and mercy, and because of this, only He is most worthy of praise. Chapter 11 ends, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. In this verse, Paul reminds us, through the words of Isaiah and Job, everything that we are, everything that we are comes from God alone. Think about it. The entirety of existence the creation of the world, all of us, God's handiwork, is sustained by His power and His love. Everything traces itself back to God as the Sovereign One who was before anything else. Now I'll give Paul credit. He's a well-educated man. He had a high standing in society. I look at Paul as someone who was well-read. He was wise and he was smart. But it wasn't Paul that was writing these words. Where do you think Paul got these ideas and these thoughts in his head? Well, God put him there, didn't he? The apostle's not blind to what he has already written thus far in Romans. He has already explained how the human rebellion contributes to the systematic problems of the world. To the point that creation itself groans for the, for the resurrection of the dead and the restoration of all things, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8. These problems of the flesh, the problems of sin, corruption, death, and decay have been addressed in a final and climactic way by God in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' atonement and resurrection. So here we are today. Today. We know that Jesus is coming back. A new creation is dawning. And the Holy Spirit dwells within humanity. Anticipation in the return of Jesus. This has been the plan of God with His Son and the Spirit, which has been orchestrated throughout the ages. 
Paul has given the Romans and us a break with these words and also reminds us of the hope that we hold to on as Christians. But now, in typical Paul fashion, he's going to dive right back into the heart of his passion for the Jews and the Gentiles. And he's going to address, he's going to give us applications both as a Christian individually and for the church. Because Paul knows that the church, the bride of Christ, will be made up of both Jews and Gentiles. Remember last week we talked about God's love is for everyone, everywhere. That brings us to the first part of Romans chapter 12, where Paul makes a point and gives us an application. His point is this. Only God can bring about the reconciliation of humanity and creation through Christ Jesus. Paul wrote in another letter, Galatians chapter 4, In the fullness of time God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And in return, Paul calls us as Christians to live a life that's not about us. It's about what God has done for each of us. Romans 12.1 I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, do you know what the problem is with the living sacrifice? It's alive. It doesn't stay on the altar, does it? Sometimes it crawls off. Sometimes it could just jump right off there, can't it? Because in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, animals were put to death and then placed on the altar as an offering to God. Paul is telling the Romans and us today, we are to be living sacrifices. Living sacrifice, as we live in this sinful flesh, we have times that we live the Christian life, and we reflect, we reflect bodies that are a living sacrifice, but other times, we are anything but a living sacrifice. What about me, right? We live for me, myself, and I. We worship the other gods in our lives. Anything you put ahead of God becomes a God in your life. The good news for us as Christians, Christ, one sacrifice on the cross. His one sacrifice on the cross replaced the need for us to make sacrifices for, to God. We no longer literally have to place ourselves in the offer, altar as a sacrifice for the sins of our lives. So what is Paul getting at? What does Paul want us to do in being a living sacrifice? To dedicate our entire lives to God. Now we don't have to do it perfectly. We can have blemishes and imperfections in our lives. We're not expected to be perfect. But in worship and sacrifice, Paul implores us to live one's earthly life as a living sacrifice. True living sacrifice happens through faith. And spiritual worship, that happens in the mind, in our fear, through our faith, through our prayer, and through our thanksgiving. We are to practice living in the age that is to come as if it already has arrived. In other words, make a habit of existing and thriving daily 
and the resurrected life, even in the here and now. And in doing so, we participate in that rightful and fitting praise to God as the Israelites had once done. But now, but now we do so in the light of the resurrection of Christ and the rebirth of our spirits in holy baptism. Paul then switches from telling us to being a living sacrifice to not being conformed by the world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed to this world. We certainly haven't listened to that one, have we? It seems that all we do. Pick a topic and there's an opinion on how everyone should conform to that topic. We as humans have done it over and over again. We've been conformed to the world, but the church, I'm sorry to say, now has let it be conformed to the world. More and more we see churches conforming to the world and its ways. Why has the church done this? It's certainly what doesn't what Paul wrote for us today. Was it to gain more members? Was it to gain more influence? I can tell you this, every church that has conformed to the world has seen their church decline. God is not going to bless a church that leaves the word of God to conform to the world. With that, I don't want to be the pastor that stands up here on a soapbox wagging his fingers at everyone saying, shame, shame, you shouldn't be conforming to the world. Because I'm just as guilty as you are. We all are guilty of conforming to this world. We are all influenced and follow the ways of this world in some way, shape, or fashion. That's why Paul is telling us to be transformed. Transformed in the Greek, metamorpho. Sounds a lot like the English word metamorphosis, doesn't it? As soon as I hear that word, it takes me somewhere back to junior high, right? Junior high when we had science class and we all got the experiments where we were supposed to get the caterpillar, right, and put it in the whatever, the aquarium or whatever thing that they were in. Pretty soon that they would, you know, you'd get in a cocoon and then days, weeks later, you'd walk into class one day and be like, huh, there's a butterfly. How did that happen? How did God take this caterpillar, which are usually not very cute, right, look like kind of a worm, wrap itself up in this cocoon, and all of a sudden there's this beautiful butterfly. It was transformed, wasn't it? The word metamorpho appears one other time in Scripture. Mark chapter 9. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Jesus was transformed. Metamorpho. In that moment, Peter, James, and John knew that Jesus was no longer just a man. The good news for us is God has changed us in our baptism, but our, trans, our, our transformation does not end there. 
Transformation starts when we understand and we know that we are sinful and unclean by nature. And once we know that we are a poor, miserable sinner, transformation lies ahead of us. Last thing I want to talk about in Romans chapter two, or in verse 2 is testing. Testing. How many of us have tested God? You all should have your hands up. I know you should, right? A couple of you put it up. We all have. See, I was talking to somebody this week. He's getting ready to retire in a couple years. And he's done the same job for 25 years. And we have a conversation about, he starts thinking about what's next for him. What lies ahead? Because he says, I want to follow God's will. But for the last 25 years, it feels the job that he's held that he's been fighting against God's will many times. So then the conversation changes because he knows I'm a pastor. He said, how did you follow God's will for your life in becoming a pastor? Well, first of all, I told him, being a pastor was not my idea, right? God put that idea in my head. But just in case, just in case that wasn't God's idea and it was my idea, I said to God this, I think this is what you want me to do. And this is how I see it happening. Here's the plan that I've come up with. I'm going to follow this plan and this path. And if I'm on the right path and this is your will, please bless it. And if it's not your will, please let me know. Make it abundantly clear. Please. So is testing God a good thing or a bad thing? It's actually not what this verse says for us today. We are to test our own lives, not God. The testing Paul is referring to is here is how they used to test metal to see how pure they were. We are to examine, to test how we live in a, matter, a manner acceptable to God, just as Paul wrote in Romans 12.1. So Paul's given us two applications for our lives. To be a living sacrifice, to be transformed. And Paul has one more application for us today. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You don't think that Paul preached those words to himself first? He preached those words to himself before he wrote them down for the church in Rome and for us today. If Paul wants to conform to the world, he certainly had the resume to think pretty highly of himself, didn't he? But he reminds himself and he reminds us, and not about you. It's about Christ and the grace given to each of us. Sober judgment. What's Paul talking about? Is he saying we shouldn't be drunk when we judge? And what Paul is saying is this. Sober judgment, having a clear mind that has no doubts, recognizes all the gifts in our lives are from God's grace alone. We each have different gifts and callings, but it is God who calls and gives. It's not about you. 
It's not the rich or the famous people of our, in this world that are example. It's not even well-known pastors or theologians. It's not even Paul himself. Jesus Christ is our example. Christ's humble attitude is the pattern for our thinking. Martin Luther said this about sober judgment. In God's presence, all must tuck their tails and be glad that they can gain forgiveness. Let no one think that as long as he lives, there he can reach such a position that he will not need such forgiveness. In short, if God does not forgive without stopping, we are lost. Now Paul gives the last part of our reading today in Romans chapter 12. He changes from giving application for us to giving direction and application for the church. Because Paul knows that all these people, people from all walks of life, people from all different backgrounds, are going to come together to worship God. In church, God has brought together individuals who are each trying to live their lives as a living sacrifice, trying to transform their mind and to think with sober judgment. And in doing so, God has brought together people who are, who are, are each on their own journey in their life and in their faith. Think about it this morning. Each person in this worship service is different. There are not a two of us that are even close to being alike, are there? We each sing the songs differently. We pray the prayers differently. We hear the words of this message differently. But at the same time, we all come together as one, trying to live our lives more and more and more like Christ. Sometimes it's hard to get everyone on the same page, right? I should say, probably today we seem most all the times. Because Paul recognizes that we are, all, we are not all going to be robots for Jesus, right? We're not going to come in here and act and talk and walk and sing and pray. All exactly the same. We each have gifts that we bring to the body of Christ, the church. Paul listed out seven different gifts that the people can have in the body of Christ in the church. He listed prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting, contribution, leadership, and doing. Now I'm not going to go through each one of those gifts because there's more than just those seven. I want to focus on this verse. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. Use your gifts to serve the church and to serve others. Because we look to our example in Jesus Christ. The Son of Man came to serve, right? Not to be served. I was thinking about this. What did Jesus expect from the disciples? What did He expect from them? He expected them to follow Him, didn't He? Come. Follow me. And that's what the disciples did, and that is our example. Now, I think we can all at some point relate to the disciples. They did some of the th same things that we still do today. But you think about this. They were with Jesus. They walked and talked with Jesus. They were in the presence of the Son of Man. 
Jesus called the 12 to follow him. And in doing so, to be transformed. And that's what we're called to do also. To follow Jesus and be transformed. In our transformation, we each are to share our gifts. To use them to serve others. That's what Jesus did. He is our example. Our reading today from Romans 11 and 12, Paul gives us encouragement. And he gives us application for our lives and for the church. Now in the end, it all goes back to God. It goes back to the grace God has shown each of us in His Son, Jesus Christ. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. For Him, through Him, and to Him. For Him, through Him, and to Him. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice. For Him, through Him, and to Him, we are to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. For Him, through Him, and to Him, we are to think with sober judgment and not think too highly of ourselves. For Him, through Him, and to Him, we too are use the gifts that God has given to each of us. And for Him, through Him, and to Him, we are to be the church. Together. Each one of us. The bride of Jesus Christ. Thank you once again for listening to the podcast. If you have any questions about anything that we share in our messages, any questions on faith, any just general questions, get a hold of me. I'd love to have a conversation. Thank you again for listening. Have a great day. God bless. <laughs>